Yo, what's good, y'all? Welcome to the John Katz Show, episode number 38. Keeping these things moving along for y'all. I hope everybody is having a great week and uh, we're heading into the weekend. So I hope everybody is uh, is doing great and peaceful and happy. Going to switch it up a little bit for y'all today. Wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some stuff I used to rant on actually a lot earlier. If you go back to older episodes, I was doing more like politically based stuff, talking about a lot about liberty and freedom, especially what's going on today with the uh, with the pandemic and all that type of stuff. And uh, I haven't really been covering a lot of that stuff so much lately, getting into a lot more of like the human psyche stuff and emotional stuff and, and mental stuff lately. So I'm going to tie all that in together here. I'm going I'm to I'm tie it in. Kind of all fits together in, in a unique way, to be honest. And then, uh, and then at the end of the show, I got a list coming up. It's a big list. I'm doing, I did Brad Pitt, my top 10 Brad Pitt movies uh, several episodes ago. I'm going to do top 10 Leonardo DiCaprio movies. Might as well bang out the two big, the two big heartthrob superstars. I'll say this about both of them. They both are underrated in the sense that a lot of people don't take them as seriously as they probably should take them because they go, oh, they're, they're just kind of a heartthrob. If you really look at the library of movies, Leo DiCaprio's library of movies will rival any actor in history. And uh, it was actually pretty hard to put this top 10 together. So I think you guys will like it. And again, these lists are my personal favorites. So it's not going to be, uh, I don't think, the same order most people would have. And, uh, and I'll give you little reasons for each of them as well. So that's coming up at the end. All right. As far as, look, liberty. When I say liberty, too, it's it's funny because, you know, I, I talk about it a lot in politics, but it's really more of a mindset thing than a political thing. The political stuff is more of just a symptomatic thing. It's a symptom. It's a manifestation. You know, human nature and the way that people are and the way that people react to things will manifest itself through, you know, more visible arenas like politics. Or in times of crises when there's, you know, a pandemic going on and and things like that, you know, you could see how people react differently to different stimulus and different things. But that's not, you know, you're just scratching at the surface when you get into a lot of those debates. You're not really getting at the core of why people are the way they are. It's funny, you know, there's been stuff in the news lately, like Howard Stern is always making some headline or some Twitter thing because he's you know, uh, bashing Joe Rogan or or more recently than that, I think Howard Stern was on his show talking about people who aren't vaccinated should not be allowed to go to hospitals, you know, that that they should just be sent home and to die or, or something like that. And, uh, you know, and you got the stuff with Neil Young doing the ultimatum with Spotify, basically telling them unless they take Joe Rogan off the platform that that they can get rid of his music because it's him or Joe, one of them's got to go. And they took Neil shit down like you know, within a day or two. So as, as if Spotify was going to get rid of Joe Rogan for Neil Young. Look, I like some of Neil Young's old music. That's kind of my point. But I made the analogy that it would have been like if the Tampa Bay Bucks had cut Tom Brady after Antonio Brown's outburst. You know what I mean? You're not getting rid of your bread and butter because uh, somebody on the fringe has it has a problem. But so, yeah. So look at Howard Stern, for example. Howard Stern made a career out of bucking the system, challenging the establishment, the status quo, you know, fighting in favor of First Amendment rights and pushing the envelope. And Neil Young is another guy pushing the envelope, you know, against the establishment. 
There's a lot of these guys that came up doing that. Jimmy Kimmel comes to mind as well. He's another one. Used to push the envelope, and now he's you know all about the establishment and the control and the authority of it all. H- Howard Stern became the exact. Uh, he became the pig vomit character in his story. You know, I, you learn about that in the movie and book Private Parts. He became that guy. The dude literally morphed into the antithesis of what he was supposedly all about for most of his career. So, so how does that happen? You know. And, and this, is, this is a much larger phenomenon than just these few examples. And they're not obviously mostly all famous people, just regular people. The counterculture today is, is siding with the establishment. The, the counterculture of yesteryear was anti-establishment and pro-liberty. So, so what's happening? What's the phenomenon that's going on there? Um, you know... When you talk about liberty, a couple things have always been true of of human nature and of society. One, which is, you know, people who are reliant on government or reliant in general will remain reliant, especially when the powers that be want them to remain reliant. And, And once you're reliant on the government, you know, it's really hard to get off of that again, especially when all the incentives you're getting are ways of keeping you on the government dole. So it's a double whammy. You're you're already like that from a human nature standpoint. And then you have people in power that are preying on that and using it to their advantage because you're a vote and you'll keep voting for them if they keep you reliant on what they're offering you. And then and then a lot of people just kind of want a level playing field. They don't want to have to compete or they can't compete. And and that's another human nature thing. You want to people want to bring people down to their level. Rather than looking up and admiring people and going, hey, I want to be like that or I want to do that and being inspired by other people, they're going, fuck that asshole at the top. I want to bring them all down to my level. Nobody should be able to, to succeed beyond what I'm capable of doing or what I think I'm capable. It's like, so there's a ton of that going on too. Now that's been going on since the beginning of time. But Howard Stern, Neil Young, Jimmy Kimmel, like these guys are not, um, they're not reliant on government. And they don't need a level playing field. They've already achieved the highest heights of each of their you know, chosen fields. So what gives there? Well, A, I think you have all the people I was already talking about. So you have the people who are already automatically susceptible to this type of stuff and who are down with it anyway. So they, they love seeing all this. Like They can't get enough of it. They eat it up. It hits at the core of, of what they're all about. You know, you see these, you know, Karen types, for lack of a better word, you know, where do you think most of those people lean from, you know, a sociological or political standpoint? It's like a lot of people just want to control other people because they feel miserable about their own shit. And so they get off on seeing other people be controlled and brought down to a shitty level, too. So so that already exists. Fine. But this other stuff we're seeing, I don't want to call it mass formation, whatever the fuck they call that hypnosis i don't know i i could tell you this and this is something i talk about on here all the time which is people's brains are not evolved to interpret and handle and take in certain types of stimulus and then discern that from reality and 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 maybe you know the kids will be better at it because but if you're talking about let's say howard stern let's say neil young and these old 60 70 year old dudes right these guys were reading newspapers and, and, and sitting and calmly absorbing. And it's like now we're all being slammed 
all day, every day with 10 billion images and memes and editorialized opinions and bullshit. And it's just a nonstop bombardment. And not only is it a nonstop bombardment, but it's a bombardment with an agenda, with a motive to actually make you believe and make you feel. Nothing motivates people like fear and discomfort. Nothing. So, you know, you take some of these guys, imagine, I've said this all the time, imagine if you flipped on every time you turned on the internet or any news channel or opened up any app, all people were talking about was heart disease or cancer or the opiate epidemic that's going on in this country, the opioid addiction. Take take any of these things that causes hundreds of thousands, if not um, close to a million deaths a year in some cases, take all of these things And what if you turned on every app, every news channel, every time you read something, that's all you saw is people talking about this, people posting memes about it, people having debates about it. And again, in some cases, a lot of these things actually should be getting a lot more attention. But beside the point, you you can obviously get a certain amount of the population to talk about and think about something all day, whatever you choose that thing to be. And, and if they were doing that, what if, what if when you turned on CNN every day, there was a heart disease death tracker or, or, a, or a cancer death tracker, and then every panel that came on talked about cancer or heart disease? Maybe Howard Stern would end up you know, devoting his life to cancer or heart disease prevention and, and creating foundations and stuff because he'd be so you know, wound up in it. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. I'm just saying. You, you can take a certain sect of the population and do that with almost anything, and you can do it in a way you could never do it before because they have the ability to technologically send these messages. And then a lot of the people receiving these messages don't know how to pragmatically and objectively discern that stimulus from what's really going on in their lives, and they start acting illogically. And so, yeah, so then when you tell them stuff like, well, we're going to make this rule or we're going to take away this freedom, or they're like, fine, man. Whatever you have to do, as long as I don't die, like you've already got them in a state where they're so fearful, where they're so uncomfortable, where they're so obsessed with this idea that's been implanted over and over that you really can get people to go along with a lot of stuff that if you would have suggested to them just at face value a couple of years ago, there's no way they would have gone along with that. But, you know, it's not look, it's not just uh, age it's it's a it's a personality type. I've always observed there a lot of people just really kind of want to be left alone to do their own thing. And a lot of people, not only don't they want to be left alone, they want their hands held with stuff, but they don't want other people to be left alone either. They they want everybody's hand being held. They want everybody being told what to do and controlled and having decisions made for them. It's such a strange impulse. If you're someone that doesn't have that impulse, it seems strange when you see it in other people. The age thing is interesting, though. I do think that, you know, something happens to men as they get a little bit older, too, because a lot of these dudes you see who were really bucking the system at one point, they lose a lot of that vim and, and vigor or whatever you call it. It's like, did you guys ever see? I don't know if I ever mentioned this on. Did you guys ever see? Uh, it wasn't a big. It should have been a bigger story. This was a couple of years ago, a few years ago. I don't remember. They caught the uh, the Golden State Killer. It was a serial killer from you know a couple decades ago, and they finally caught this dude using DNA. But they did it in a very unique way, which is they had all this old DNA of the killers from those crime scenes, but they never had a match for the DNA. So the detectives said, and I don't know why they're not doing this with every old dormant. What do they call those cold cases? 
I mean, you could do this with any case with old DNA. So here's what they did. They took the dude's DNA and they fed it into one of those websites like Ancestry.com or 23andMe or whatever, right? They sent his DNA in. And because what happens is it comes back with all these matches of family members. So it came back with like listing all these dudes, second cousins and, and all these other people. Because people check a box when you do those if you want to be public and made. They do it so like... It's cool because I did 23andMe, right? And you can see all your relatives and what percentage of DNA you're related. And you see all these cousins and distant, you know, everything's that you had no idea you were even related to and you can message each other, etc. So people who were related to this dude had obviously signed up for this site at some point and checked the box that they would be shown to their familial matches, their people that they're related to. And so the... Detectives got a list of the serial killer's relatives, and then they basically, you know, looked up who these people are all related to, narrowed down to someone who was living in that area and, and could have done those killings and was about the right age. And I think, you know, within like six months or a year or something, they found this dude based on doing that. So, A, I don't know why. First of all, that was a really long side tangent of just a story that I find interesting, but I am going somewhere with it, which is why I brought it up. I watched the detective be interviewed who cracked that case and he was on i don't know cnn or fox news or one of those and he was talking to people about the whole case and how they caught the killer and everything but here's why it was interesting the killer the serial killer killed for like a couple decades nonstop, and then he stopped killing for a long time like when they had caught him he hadn't killed anybody in like 10 i'm i'm, I'm butchering pardon the pun i'm butchering the the dates here but it did something like he hadn't killed in like a decade when they caught him or something like that so the, the guy interviewing the detective said, well, why did he stop killing? What happened? And the detective said, well, he, he got old. And he didn't mean it in the sense that he was too old to physically kill anymore. He actually, actually extrapolated on that and pointed out that it was like a more of like a low testosterone thing. That, you know, whatever men are really into, even to the point of being an obsessive serial killer, at some point that vigor just kind of dies down you and you're like, eh, fuck it. You know, meaning 68-year-old Howard Stern is not the same guy as 30-year-old 30 year old Howard Stern. That was a long way around of making that point. Even a fucking serial killer loses their motivation to, uh, to stand up and do what they were into. What a terrible analogy that was. But it's an interesting story. And you, you do see that and do it. Maybe, hey, look, everyone's taking testosterone replacement therapy now. It's probably a good thing. It probably does make you healthier. You don't want your T levels to be too low. You'll go from old Howard Stern to new Howard Stern. Nobody wants that. But yeah, when it comes, listen, when it comes to liberty and all that, and yes, I'm like 90% libertarian. I know everyone's, oh, libertarian's so weird. Everyone loves libertarianism up until it hits at stuff that they personally find morally reprehensible and you can't do that a lot of the people most of the people who think they want liberty they still are inconsistent in some areas if you really want liberty if you're truly a libertarian it's actually the most consistent argument out there it really is it's the only true consistent ideology that i could see out there look it's based in just leave people the fuck alone just leave me alone just leave everybody alone if you're not hurting someone you're not threatening someone you're not stealing from somebody the government really should not be in your life in any other ways than that. And then people always go, oh, what about uh, abortion or whatever? No, that's a human life. I'm not talking about that. That doesn't fall under the not hurting anyone category. People go, well, what about you think you should have to have sex with underage people? No, 
That's a human life. There's a victim in that situation. Not talking about that either. Consenting adults should be left alone 99.999% of the time to do whatever freaky fucking shit they want. If they're not hurting anybody, I don't care. And you shouldn't care either. Nobody should care. And everyone should want that for themselves. And everyone should want it for everybody else. And then if people break laws, you punish the bad apples. You don't regulate all the good apples. If you got 100 apples and one or two of them do some dumb shit, you punish those shitty apples. You don't take the other 98 and put all weird restrictions on them. Look at even like look at even like gun laws, for example. I mean, give me a break. They, they, hey, they're not even addressing all the gun violence. 90 something percent of the gun violence that takes place, they don't even want to address because it doesn't fit a narrative. They refuse to enforce the laws in those places where all those gun homicides are taking place. It's a very tiny percentage of perpetrators who are continuing to increase that homicide rate in all of these places. If you simply enforce the laws and punish those people to the max and then let they just, oh, let's take guns away from every For what? Why you didn't take guns away from the 99.9999% of the law-abiding citizens who have this constitutional right? Your emphasis should be on, on punishing the people that take advantage and break those laws. And then that acts as a deterrent for people. I say all the time where I grew up, Everyone had guns, kids shot guns, nobody shot anybody. It's not a gun issue, it's a sociological issue. People don't want to address it. But it, but it's a perfect example of, you know, people have a right, a constitutional right that provides liberty in a certain area, and then other people want to take that stuff away because there's a few bad actors who are, who are taking advantage or abusing the system. They And they, they're just looking for a reason to do that anyway. Like I said, a lot of people just want the control. They want the control for themselves and they want the control for everybody else. But yeah, I think also that's why I'm just so into like, man, just be yourself. Let other people be themselves. It all kind of ties together. That's what I was saying. I was going to tie it all together for you. The whole libertarian thing. See, for me, the reason why I feel like I'm such a libertarian minded person is because from just a personal humanity standpoint, that's how I am. I want to be left alone and I want to leave other people. Everybody should be as weird and different and unique. Everyone should do whatever makes them happy. If they're fortunate enough to have something that they like, if they're passionate about or makes them, everybody should do that. Everyone should do that as much as they possibly can and everyone else should leave them the fuck alone for it. Look, be yourself, be weird, be different. You got to really, this is something I was talking about the other day. You got to love your flaws, right? Not just accept your flaws. If you want to really love yourself and be comfortable in your own skin and accept who you are at a base level, you got to actually love your flaws. And I'll say this, and this is something I'm coming to learn about myself so much. So it's so true, which is if you look at the best parts of yourself, the best parts of your personality or, or, you know, when it comes to emotional and mental and spiritual, all that kind of stuff, look at the things that you're most proud of the way you are. Oftentimes you wouldn't have those qualities if you didn't also have some of those flaws. People that have to deal with certain stuff, you get positives out of all of that. And I could tell you 1000% of my case, the, what I consider to be the most beneficial parts of my personality I wouldn't have if not for some of the parts that you know might be considered flawed you don't get the stronger parts without having to deal with some of the weaker parts 
I had shared a clip online the other day of Jordan Peterson and somebody had commented, people always point out how weird he is and he is weird. And somebody commented like, oh, I'm not really that into him anymore. His mind's all over the place or whatever. And I'm like, you know, all those guys are weird. If you're going to have unique thoughts and opinions and be able to express those types of things, you're going to have been the type of person who's probably dealt with some shit mentally, emotionally. The dude pointed out uh, Peterson was an opiate addict, which you like you're going to have dealt with some stuff. You're going to have battled some demons. Regular old average boring people don't have they're not that weird and they don't have unique stuff to say or they're pretending to be weird and unique. Like Jordan Peterson is weird and unique on such an authentic level. He's not trying to be weird for anybody. In fact, if anything, he's probably trying to be less weird than he is and he's just so authentically weird that it it just can't help but exude out of the dude. But yeah, be yourself. There is no perfection. I quoted that Swedish soccer player the other day. It's become my favorite quote now. It was so simple. And I, I nobody, I don't think, ever just said it that simply. Perfection is being yourself. Boom. There is no perfection. It's, it's building up some fake bullshit. If you want to be perfect, be as close to who you truly are as possible. That's perfection. And another dude was talking about, you got to love your, I was talking about love your flaws a minute ago. This, this dude takes, he's saying, you got to love your mistakes. And even that Swedish soccer dude was saying similar stuff. Like you're going to make mistakes, you're going to learn from it, and then you're still going to make more mistakes, right? If you start hating too many things you've done, then by association, you, you actually are hating yourself in a way. You can't hate too many of your actions. You know what I mean? You definitely want to look at stuff that you've done that has caused you issues and messed up your life and caused you, and you, you want to try your hardest not to repeat those things. But at the same time, you can't hate it, right? Because it's still you. It's still stuff you've done. You don't, you don't want to look back and just be so, like I say, all that, you don't want to be angry with yourself. People who walk around angry, 99% of the time, they're angry at themselves, they they take it out on other people and and in many cases other people are actually to blame but the anger is still always directed inward it's always directed at why did i even allow myself to be put in that situation what could i have done differently to avoid that the anger at other people is very short-lived it's it's the self-anger and the abuse and and we were so hard on ourselves for feeling certain emotions and it snowballs into this whole other thing where we're just being hard on ourselves for feeling those things in the first place instead of just allowing ourselves to feel those things. I was talking about recently, you can't just push, if there's bad stuff coming in, emotions that you don't like, you can't push that shit away. You think you're pushing it away, but you're not. It's a, it's a Band-Aid. And then every, it, it's always going to be stuck in the middle of you. And then every time it tries to come in, you're going to try to push it out. And it's going to, you're never going to heal. You're never going to truly, fully forgive yourself, forgive other people. You're never going to move on and heal from anything doing it that way. That, that's something I'm learning. If you're going to feel tough emotions, you go, you know what? I'm a human. I'm supposed to feel these things. You let it come in, you feel it really deeply, you process it, and then you you let it out the other side. You let it through you. And then it doesn't come back and hit you from the front in the same way. When you're pushing it away, you're going to have that battle for a long time. You find yourself feeling like you can't 
heal or, or process something that's been bothering you, it's probably because you're resisting it too much instead of just kind of going through the, the sh- more short-lived part of kind of feeling it as deeply as possible first and then releasing it. And look, and when it comes to being yourself and understanding all these things about yourself and accepting and forgiving yourself, a, a huge key to that is you don't want to look around and compare yourself to others. However, this is something I talked about on my Walker vlog the other day. I do these Walker vlogs now. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I post them. I put them on TikTok too. It's like a two minute walk. I just talk about some bullshit. I've done like three of them. I got plenty more to come. In any case, I talked about on there. I told this story. I'll tell it again. I think I told this on a very old podcast. Maybe that was a year ago. So fuck it. I messed it up anyway. I always mess up the names and dates. So might as well retell it. So anybody who watches motocross, you know, like the X Games and the motocross dudes, and they do all the tricks, they have the freestyle stuff where they do the tricks and they get judged on the trick difficulty, etc. Okay, so for for years and years, all of these guys wanted to do a backflip. The, the backflip was considered the crown jewel of tricks. People would do it like in foam pits or water and stuff, but nobody ever landed or was even willing to attempt this thing on like a hard dirt track in a competition. Okay, so finally, when it was done, it was like, oh, two, a guy named Mike Metzger landed one in the X Games, and he won, he got the gold medal, perfect score, all that, deservedly so. But the reason that it's interesting is the following year, multiple guys were able to do the backflip, him and Travis Pastrana and a couple others, and then the year after that, everybody was doing backflips, and they were adding variations to it and extra little things they would do to make it more technical. And within two, three years, it wasn't even considered that big. You couldn't just do a backflip. You would get last place. It wasn't considered a great trick anymore. It went from being unattainable to guys were like doing it during their warmups and introduction. Like they'd come out and do a backflip as they get introduced. And by like 06, Travis Pastrana landed a double backflip. Just four years later, somebody came out and did a double backflip, whereas a backflip had been unattainable before that. Point being... All these dudes who were afraid to do this thing or couldn't figure out how to mentally get over this hurdle of doing this thing saw someone do it who was a peer of theirs, and then they were all able to do it too. So when it comes to other people, use them for inspiration and visualization and all that type of stuff. You don't want to look at people with resentment. You don't want to look at people with jealousy. But if there's an area where you feel like you can improve or there's something you want to do, look around humanity. I promise you somebody's done something real similar or somebody's used the type of strength and courage and has the wisdom that you're currently seeking. And you can see that and go, wow, how inspiring. That guy did it. He doesn't have some magical formula I don't have. I can do the same exact thing. And then whatever you do, as somebody reminded me recently, do it consistently. Consistency is the key. And that's something I remind myself about a lot too. And when it comes to this podcast or anything else, I had once heard somebody say it was somebody that had a successful show. God, I'm terrible at names, but somebody asked them, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out? And they said two things. They said, one, number one, be yourself. Number two, set a schedule. That was their top advice. And I got to agree with it. The be yourself part, I think I'm pretty good at. I'm trying to just like kind of really let my guard down completely and fully be myself when I do these things. But I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm definitely myself from a personality standpoint where I feel I hold 
back as I don't maybe re- reveal certain details of stuff. But then again, I feel like I'm protecting up. Like if it was just me out here with no, no one else to worry about, I'd probably get on here and say a lot more personal shit, to be quite honest. But yeah, the be yourself part, I think I'm pretty good at. But the set a schedule part, I'm shitty at. And so for me personally, I do look around at other people who I know or who I don't know who are doing something that I think, wow, I could do it that way too. Listen, when you look at other people and you see that they've done something and you go, well, what's the difference? What did they do that I'm not doing? There's no magic formula there. They simply chose to take those steps. The only difference between if you're looking at someone and going, how did they get to that point and how come I can't get to that point? Just choose to take those steps too. And you'll turn around one day and it won't even feel like anything that big of a deal. You'll go, well, yeah, of course I was supposed to end up doing this because I just naturally traveled down this journey and I, I, you know, did the things necessary to get to this place. I saw a guy telling a story on TikTok the other day and he was, it was an old fable or something like that where there's like a boy riding a horse and they're lost in the forest. And the boy says to the horse, I can't see, I don't know, it's, it's completely dark. I can't see anything. I don't know where we're going. And the horse says to the, the kid, can you see one step in front of you? And the kid says, yes. He said, well, then just take that. And it's true. Don't get overwhelmed with the whole journey because then you go, well, fuck it. I'm never going to do all these things. Look at the first hurdle. Focus on the first one thing. What's the first step I need to take? Boom. Bang that out. And then look at the next thing. Boom. What's the next step I need to bang that out? And again, I say these things not from a preachy standpoint. I say it because I'm fucking terrible at doing it and I'm learning how to do it. And uh, it feels good when I do more of it and everybody should do more of that. So that's that's this week's vibe. Be yourself. Do your thing. Look to others for inspiration. Don't be embarrassed about being different or weird. Leave everybody the fuck alone, just like you want them to leave you alone. When it comes to, to liberty and society and humanity and all that, listen, don't give up on people. If there's people in your life you feel like they're overly susceptible to certain things or they kind of, you know, look, just talk to people from a respectful pragmatic viewpoint and uh you'd be surprised you could still have a normal conversation with a lot of people that you think you couldn't so there you go Uh, i'm gonna do the list i'm gonna do i'm doing top 10 leonardo dicaprio movies i don't know if you guys like these lists at the end of the show i started doing it i feel like they're good let me know I'm, i'm i'm gonna do like a top five top 10 for every show i think from here to eternity i kind of like it i always liked ranking things all right, I'm not going to give super long explanations on all this stuff. When I do these lists, listen, I got to be honest. I feel like people are embarrassed when it comes to their true favorites of things. If you talk to people like, what's your favorite songs and music and movies? Like People won't really give you their true, unless they know you really well. People will say the stuff that's cool to say. They'll say the popular answer. They won't say the thing that they've secretly watched a dozen times and really enjoy watching more than the other ones. So I'm truthful with these. When I rank these Leo movies, it's the ones I personally enjoy watching the most, the ones I've watched the most, even though, you know, a lot of picks are going to be way cooler and way more popular. So in that light, number one, catch me if you can. Again, I don't know what it is about this movie. I probably watched it a dozen times at least. It was always on TV. It's just the kind of thing you can watch. It's at Something about the tempo of it and the the role. It's a true story. Leo's playing Frank Abagnale Jr., the the bank fraudster, and he's on the run from Tom Hanks, the FBI. By the way, I know, Tom Hanks. Listen, I don't want to know people's politics and stuff. 
Talk about a guy with an amazing library, too. Tom Hanks has one of the best movie libraries. and I don't want to know what he's like in real life. I just want to enjoy his movies. Leave me alone with that. Breaks my heart. But yeah, no, listen, I don't know why. Catch me if you can. Number one, Leo, Tom, fast paced, fun, just the right tempo, great acting, enough comedy in there. It, it, um, and, and Walken steals that movie, too. Christopher Walken, you know, obviously is, uh, is Leo's dad, whatever. All right, moving along. Number two, Inception. I love the movie Inception. I'm obsessed with dreams, as a lot of you guys know. It's all about implanting dreams. You got Tom Hardy and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Killian Murphy from Peaky Blinders. And it's just a really great cast of some of my favorite actors. And it's the kind of movie you could watch it three, four times and still get something new out of it. In fact, when you watch it the first time, you really kind of miss it. It's almost the kind of movie that you have to watch twice just to kind of fully absorb and grasp it, in my opinion. Number three, you guys are going to hate this pick. I don't care. Coming in number three, Titanic. What's truly not to love about the movie Titanic? And yes, I'm actually a sucker for romance movies, but it's just such a big cinematic production. And listen, Leo and Kate are amazing in that movie. I don't care what anybody says. It's the kind of movie that like, you know, you, you, you pretend like your wife or your girlfriend or whoever's watching it, but you're really into it as well. Anyone wants to hate on Titanic doesn't actually understand good cinema. Billy Zane is just such a great villain in, in this movie and in almost everything that he's in. Here's something interesting. Leo seems like a kid in that movie and Kate Winslet seems like this grown up. And I looked this up recently. Leo's actually a year older than her. So interesting. Had such a baby face. All right, moving along, coming in number four, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've talked about this movie when I did the Brad Pitt list. It's just such a fun, fucking funny Quentin Tarantino's, you know, take on an alternate history of the Charlie Manson murders and all that. I won't go down into the whole plot again, but I was I was actually late watching this movie. I didn't see it when it first came out and then I saw it. And I loved it and I probably watched it three or four times since then. And it really is just such a fun, satisfying ride. Uh, So if you haven't seen that, definitely go check out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, coming in number five, Gangs of New York, Daniel Day-Lewis, Leo DiCaprio, like early 20th century New York City before it was all formed. It was kind of like the wild west of New York with these gangs running the boroughs and it's like a play. It really is. It's it's like watching a play. And Daniel Day-Lewis obviously just does these insane, amazing characters. And it's just um, just a really crazy, fun ride also. And it's it's a very, you know, violent and intense movie, but, uh, you know, managed to have some some humor in there as well, Scorsese and all that. Coming in number six, a lot of people are going to have this as like their number one. People consider this one of the best movies ever. So in that regard, I got to say it's a little overrated, but it is an amazing movie and it's The Departed. And that's, you know, Leo, he's the cop, he's undercover trying to infiltrate the gang. And Matt Damon is the gangster who's kind of like undercover as a cop. And Jack Nicholson is the gang leader and Jack is always great in everything he does. And it's just, it really is. It's a great movie, easy to watch. Really great crime thriller, but uh, probably overrated a little bit, if I'm being quite honest. Coming in number seven, I'm going with The Great Gatsby. Again, for me, I, I there's just certain movies I really enjoy. I, I enjoy, there's something about, also it's like a play, all right, and there's great music. To be honest, Tobey Maguire is probably the lead in this movie. Leo's not the lead. He doesn't even come in until pretty far into the movie. But there's just something really like 
peaceful and dreamlike about it. I like when movies kind of take you to a different place and it just kind of, I don't know. I don't know how you just, they, you know, look, they say films are a, a, a director's realm. So got to say the directing has everything. Then I should probably mention the directors in all these movies. I don't probably know half of them except Sorsese did have this list, but something about it. I love the feel. I love the vibe. I love the music. And uh, I could watch Gatsby all the time, even though people think it's kind of boring. Coming in number eight this is a deep cut. People might not even know this movie. It's called This Boy's Life. This came out when I was like 14, 14, 15. It was one of Leo's first movies, either this or Gilbert Grape was around the same time. And he plays like a 14, 15 year old. My mom loved this movie. She'll love this pick. There was a girl I knew freshman year of high school. It was her favorite movie. She was obsessed with Leo. I watched it a dozen times. Uh, You know, Ellen Barkin is his mom and Robert De Niro. Another one. I don't want to know. Robert De Niro plays like the, you know, abusive asshole stepdad and like this small town they live in. I think it's upstate New York, but it's great. I bet uh, most people I bet have not seen that this boy's life. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a simple little drama, early nineties, not a lot of bells and whistles going on. Just, you know, some intense scenes and some really good acting. And again, that's, it's, that's a nostalgia pick for me. Uh, you know, if I'm just ranking movies from a critical standpoint, I don't know. From a nostalgic standpoint, it bumps that thing way up the list. All right, coming to number nine. Here's another one people think is amazing. I think people will put this like one and two with Departed on The Wolf of Wall Street. It is a really fun, fast ride. Again, Scorsese. Jonah Hill's underrated. Jonah Hill is just great in so many. He's he's like such a great co-star, you know, whether it's this or or Moneyball or, you know, he's always he's like such a great wingman in movies and just really has a hell of a lot more range than people give him credit for dramatically and comedically. But yeah, that's that's uh, Scorsese. Also, the true story of Jordan Belfort, the the notorious Wall Street criminal and Leo plays him. And that's just a really wild, fun, crazy, insane movie. So what's not to like about Wolf of Wall Street? Again, I'll say it's a little overrated, but it's a great movie. All right, moving along, coming in number 10 is a movie a lot of people probably haven't seen also. It's called Blood Diamond, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the the dude that's in it with Leo. Uh, Basically, Leo's like this diamond smuggler, mercenary dude. It's the Sierra Leone Civil War in Africa in the 90s, and they get linked up, and it's, um, you know, they're both on the run, and Leo's trying to find this really rare, precious pink diamond, and I don't know. I just love it. It's a fun ride. That's my list. Johnny's top 10 Leo movies. So that's it. Plenty more lists to come. Plenty more actors with amazing libraries. And uh, I'm going to be doing like I'm going to be doing a list every show for you guys. So there's a lot of ground to cover as far as that goes. And as far as Leo, let me shout out. The Aviator was an amazing movie. Um, the Revenant was an amazing movie. I mentioned Gilbert Grape. That's another big one from when I was younger. The dude's library is just deep, deep, deep. And uh, he might have one of the most, impre- if not the most impressive list of movies. Him and Brad, man, they're up there. I got to say, Tom Hanks, bro. Look at Tom Hanks' library. He's up there. Denzel, there's another one. I'll do, I'm going to do plenty of lists for you guys. Plenty of actors to go through, actresses, plenty of lists. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. That is the show. Uh, I hope everybody had a great week. I hope everybody has a really nice, easy, peaceful, fun weekend coming up. And uh, and I will be back for you guys in a couple days. Enjoy the weekend. Be good. Peace.